My guest on this week's episode of Sudden Search is Cindy Crum, CEO and Mobile Moxie. Cindy has spoken at virtually every major digital marketing event I can think of, including MozCon, PubCon, Brighton SEO, and all the different SMX events. I've been looking forward to speaking with Cindy for some time because she's been my go-to resource for all matters related to mobile SEO. Cindy is a must-follow on Twitter at the handle at Sussex for instant reaction to all the latest news and updates on mobile SEO. One of, if not the biggest updates started in the summer of 2019, Google began to predominantly use the mobile version of a website for indexing and ranking. Referred to as mobile-first indexing, this had serious ramifications for websites who hadn't made their mobile experience a priority. Perhaps no one in SEO knows more about this update than Cindy. I'm going to start our conversation talking about mobile-first indexing and specifically how to have better conversations with our clients about mobile SEO. Cindy's company, Mobile Moxie, has created several excellent tools designed for mobile SEO. We'll talk about two of our tools, the Serperator and the Pagescope tool during this conversation. You can sign up for a seven-day free trial on the Mobile Moxie website. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Cindy Crump. We'll chat about how mobile SEO has changed over the years. We'll chat a little about the passage ranking update from earlier this year. And I'll talk to her a little bit about the future of AMP. Cindy, welcome to Sudden Search. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's a big get to get you on. Um, you are known as one of, if not the top mobile SEO minds in the world. And so I wanted to ask you all about it. Um, I think one of the things is there's a seems to me that there's a communication problem here, or at least I'd like to think it's with SEOs and not just me, uh, but I certainly have to fess up that I have some issues when I'm looking at a at a website with a client. I'm usually looking at it on a desktop when Google's really looking at the mobile version. I, I wonder if you have any tips you could give, you know, SEOs, you know, to help communicate this idea of mobile first and that a client's website is really on the phone, not on a, not on a desktop computer. Yeah, absolutely. You're completely right in that um, a lot of people in the SEO community have kind of a jaded or a unclear understanding of what Google's really looking at, because if they do all their testing on their work machine um, and say, let's check out this page, let's check out this page, but they're not actually looking on a mobile device or at least a mobile emulation, um, then they may not have the, the clearest picture of what's going on or what Google is getting or what Google cares about primarily. And especially if things change, uh, from the desktop to mobile rendering, even if it's the same content, if they change the presentation style, like things go into accordions or something like that, uh, that's something that you really need to know from an SEO perspective. And it's not just mobile SEO now, since Google's crawling mobile first, mobile SEO is SEO. If you're not doing mobile SEO, you're doing it wrong. That's, that's very well said and much better than I usually do. So I, you mentioned it mobile first, like this was the big game changer. Um, you've been doing this for a long time. I can think of some things like, you know, before mobile first, what were some of the things like, I remember you could never have flash on a mobile phone. Like that was a big one. Yeah. What was the world like before mobile first? What were you really interested in? And are any of those problems that you were dealing with in like 2015 still around that you're still uh, talking to people about in terms of being a better mobile SEO? Yeah, I mean, some of that's still around. It has changed. And in fact, Google's messaging has changed of what you need to be doing, what the best practice is. So for a long time earlier um, in my career, uh, we were focusing on how to um, 
have separate mobile versions of a page, so an M dot version of the site, and you had to link up the desktop version and the mobile version with special code called bidirectional right. annotation um, to tell Google to share the SEO value between the pages. And then Google changed and said, don't do that, do responsive design. And so everyone started migrating their M dots to the main uh, responsive design pages or migrating desktop to mobile because mobile was already responsive um, and doing that. But the problem was those developers were building responsive design, but not building it for mobile. They were doing it um, and adding so much heavy code that mobile browsers couldn't handle it. And it was too slow. So then Google changed and said, don't do that. Okay, skip that, do AMP. And then there was backlash against that, and that didn't work out great. And now it's kind of, they've rolled back the AMP thing um, a little bit and said, okay, responsive, just do it better, and here's how to do it better, and we care about Core Web Vitals. Sorry, long diatribe, but they've shifted from saying do this to don't do that to do it, you know, slightly differently. Yeah, you've been on a, you must have a little bit of whiplash with all the stuff they kind of tell you is, is the way to do it, and then a little while later they change it, so... Well, I mentioned at the beginning that there, there seems to me like this communication problem, but you guys actually have some tools that might help. So I know of your tool, the Serperator tool is the one that's really popular uh, with me. So I, I tested it out before we got on. I know a little bit about it, but tell us about it and how it might help solve some of these issues that we've been discussing. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing that's different in um, mobile is that search results can change uh, based on a lot of different factors. And people don't realize how nuanced those changes can be or the factors that impact those changes can be. And so to kind of illustrate that and help people understand um, what a ranking actually looks like in the reality context, not just when they test or in some kind of tracking numeric number of where it's ranking, what is above it, what is below it, uh, what's distracting from it. So we, we built the, the Serperator tool to let people put in all of the conditions. Um, so the actual phone, the actual location down to an address, not just a city or a state um, or a zip code. Uh, and uh, phone language, which can actually also change the default language settings on your phone can impact um, how the results appear in, in Google or your default search settings as well. So from a language perspective. So we put all that together and made the Serperator so that people can test and you can even do two at a time to compare uh, two different phones or mobile and desktop. We allow you to do desktop next to mobile right now so you can see um, because there are some conditions where desktop presentation is, is wildly different than mobile. Yeah. Um, they've added a new left navigation that only occurs in desktop results now for some kinds of queries, not mobile. So knowing if that's there or not. So anyway, yeah, we have the Serperator and then we have the the um, kind of more advanced version of the Serperator is called the um, Serperankalizer. And what that does is it's like Serperator, but over time, and we capture the full length screenshot with all the settings that you have, parse it, uh, graph the results, and let you see visual history of what it looked like. And also think stats like the percent of, um, search that you own we let you claim things and say this is me this is me this is me um and so you get percent of search you get a, a score called the moxie score which is kind of like the percent of the search plus how hard was that to get how competitive is this result 
Um, and how hard are you competing against Google results that from what I, what I feel is like Google sometimes intentionally glosses over some of the stuff that they stick into the result. So you get Search Console, thank you Google for giving us Search Console, but why aren't you telling us when there's a map pack in there, when there's a knowledge graph? They know, they could tell us, and it's pushing position one way down, and that's not fair. So we do a percent of SERP and the pixel height for your positions, for, and we do traditional rank and actual rank. So traditional rank is the in, like doesn't include the things that Google intentionally tells us we should ignore, um, and actual rank counts everything: PPC, knowledge graph, map packs. Um, people also ask interesting finds, and that gives you the reality of what position you're in, how many things are actually above you. Oh, I like it's such a good observation because Search Council is still in that ten blue links you know world where yeah. that's not the SERP anymore. That's, that's not what it is. Yeah. 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 Well, Oh, it's not an oversight. I think it's a little <laughs> bit more strategic. They have that info. You're, I'm sure they have to, right? So, okay. Well, I, I have to ask you about another tool you guys have. So there's one about App Store optimization. I'm blanking on the name. But it's about App Store optimization. I have two questions about this. I never even knew that App Store optimization was a thing, but it's got to be a huge business. Uh, how How popular is this industry and how big is it, uh, if you know? And then... You know, tell us about your tool and how it helps people optimize for app stores. Yeah, so um, the two we have two app tools, um, the App Datalyzer and the App Rankalyzer. And what they do is they track your rankings in the app stores for keywords, just like you would in regular SEO. Um, those things change by country and by um, operating system. So, for instance, some apps exist in iOS that don't exist in uh, Android or some apps exist in iOS US, but not iOS Australia. And so it takes all of those things into consideration because the app stores do, and it shows you the ranking. It's great for international teams that have apps in multiple countries because um, <clears throat> different countries are more competitive, have more apps competing for the same eyeballs. Um, so you can see where do you rank in each of the countries for each of the um, operating systems for all of your keywords, and you can see wow. that over time. And then it also tracks all of your metadata because the App Store algorithms are much less sophisticated. So for instance, in Google, when you change something, it takes a while to kind of marinate and take an effect. Um, in the App Store, it's immediate, uh. um, in both of them actually, or more so in iOS App Store, but in both of them, it's pretty immediate. So for instance, we had a team years ago that kept accidentally deleting um, one of the meta tags, just like, oops, they saved over it and now it's gone. And so we could tell them exactly the day that they did their updates and they pushed something live because it would just fall off a cliff. They would go from position three or one to gone and then back wow. because they needed those. So it tracks those and it can tell you when did you change it, what was it before, because it's, there's so many fewer ranking uh, factors that if you're like, well, we changed our title to our title of the app this day. And then we went from position five to position one. You can be like that worked. We know it was I that know. thing. Whereas in, in regular SEO, it's kind of like you can think something worked, but there are so many other factors at play that it's really hard to know definitive definitively what caused something to change. So that's that. And then the other thing, so there's the app rankalyzer, that's that. And then there's the, or no, the, the app datalyzer is what I just described. And the app rankalyzer shows 
the separate Google ranking. So you can search Google for app related keywords and it'll show you what we call an app pack. Um, and so that tool shows you how you rank in the app packs, um, which is a totally different algorithm than the app stores and different from the regular algorithm. Um, and that can impact how much traffic you get to your app as well, because more and more people start their search for an app directly in Google instead of going to the stores. Fascinating. Well, I think there's one more tool. I, I wanted to like really dive into all these things, but I want to get, make sure I mention all the tools. There's one more that's about landing page experience. Here's a problem that, uh, I don't think gets talked about a lot is like, there's a zillion cell phones now. Your page might work great on iPhone 12, but it doesn't work at all on Android 11 or something like that. There's like there's so many cell phones, and we don't want to miss a single sale or miss a single lead because someone had a bad user experience, right? So, how does PageScope? I think it's called PageScore or PageScope. PageScope. Yeah, PageScope. How does it help solve this problem? It's like there's a lot of cell phones out there. Yeah. So the PageScope lets you um, see a page, any page on a bunch of different mobile phones or on desktop and the same thing you can do it side by side with desktop and mobile to see where the differences are um, and it just lets you test but it's a fully interactive experience so a lot of emulators just let you see one page at a time you put it in a url and you're done mm -hmm. um, with ours especially when you're logged in uh, to a mobile moxie account you can click all the way through conversion you can submit credit cards in there um, and actually buy things uh, to see how does the conversion process work on all of the different phones um, and where do, where do people get tripped up and things like um, modals. If you've designed a modal for desktop, sometimes it totally um, skews the way the, the mobile presentation works and you can't even close it um, and it's blocking your ability to actually convert. So it, it shows you stuff like that. And then we have the the datalyzer version of that tool as well, which is super useful for really large teams because it does full screenshots of a page over time. It'll auto capture it. So for instance, if you're on such a big team that you don't know when they're launching an update to the home page or they only tell you that morning or you know you find out after the fact that something's changed, we can actually track that so you can see, well, when did this change go live? Um, and you can line that up with, oh, this change went live this week, and right after that, or a week or two after that, that's when this ranking tanked. So we think it, it's related to that. So it just helps demystify um, what is impacting what, and it really, instead of relying on numeric metrics like you would in any other kind of tracking program, we give you visuals that give you more context to the numbers. Um, and so with the rankings, we give you that. And with the pages, we don't just say, you know, oh, there was a, a change went live. We actually capture the image and we capture the source code, uh, rendered and unrendered uh, for whatever device you want. And that's actually also becoming much more important with um, all of the cloud SEO stuff that's happening. Because when people are testing, when SEOs are testing a page, not only are they often testing the desktop version, uh, but they might not yes. be testing with sending the right signals to their cloud platform, which might send different variations or might not, they might have forgotten to set up hreflang for mobile user agents or what have you. And so knowing what is really being sent um, from a cloud SEO platform or just on mobile and desktop and having uh, 
capture, code capture for rendered and unrendered code to know exactly what was being sent. Um, super important, and it's going to get more and more important. Well, it's, it's so interesting. I saw this like trending post, I think it was on Twitter, that was about what's the first thing you do when you audit a website? And a lot of the respondents said, you know, the first thing I do is I go look at the user experience. I want to act like a user here. But I wonder how many of them are really looking at it on a mobile device. Like that should be the user experience where they go. And so this tool, I think, could be that first step. I, I certainly will try it next time I audit a site. So, you know, the the next I want to I want to take a pivot. You mentioned it at the beginning, but AMP was something I did want to talk to you about. This is something where it, it used to be like a requirement to rank in the carousel there, like the publisher carousel, to have AMP. If I have this right, and so. Now that's gone. It's all about Core Web Vitals, I think, is, is what you said. What happened to AMP? Uh, what does this mean to, for publishers who spend you know, a ton of resources on AMP to try and take advantage? Well, so AMP is an interesting case because I think that it brought a lot of value to some kinds of websites and to Google. Um, and I think what SEOs forget is what it brought and how it benefited Google. Um, so what Google can do... And what Google has done many times in history is they create a system where SEOs feed them uh, relationship data between pages. So for hreflang, we say this is the English version or this is the French version and here are all the other versions. And we say these are equal, right? And um, we did it with bidirectional annotation to mobile and desktop. These are equal. Oh. And we did it with AMP. This is the regular version, responsive, and this is the AMP version. Got it. When we do that, um, whether it was the original intent or not, I think Google has figured out that we can use or that they can use that relationship that we feed them in code as a method of training their algorithmic models to evaluate a page. And so they can say, here's an AMP version, and here's a regular version, and now we know what the AMP version of that regular version would look like. And so we can generate tools that automatically make AMP versions or automatically make faster versions of a page. Or we can use the language training in hreflang to improve our understanding of different languages when we know that these pages all say the same thing. It informs different pieces of their technology, and we're like an unpaid army of people training bots, not necessarily right. algorithmic bots, not necessarily not algorithmic bots, um, but pieces that evaluate different things that eventually go into the algorithm. So I think that's what happened with AMP, and they have launched um, uh, technology in some of the... Um, smaller and less advantaged countries that will automatically yeah. present basically an amped version of a page without the developer having to do amp. And Got so it. we can expect that to be rolled out um, as a solution at some point where it helps people with bad connections, slow phones, whatever. Um, Google now has the training data to say, this is a regular page and I know what I can cut out of that code and repurpose to make a faster version of the page. Unbelievable. Well, I think that's uh, that's an awesome answer. I, I want to try and ask you one more like topical thing. I started to do some research. I noticed you are called on a lot to talk about Google Passage Ring. So this was something from earlier this year. I know this has to do with Google crawling and indexing long pieces of content. 
But that's about it. I don't know, like, I know enough to be dangerous here. What can you tell our audience about passage ranking? Uh, is there something that professional SEOs should do, if, if anything? Yeah, so passage ranking is something that I've been talking about, or at least um, referencing for a long time as something else that I called fraggles, which was fragments of text and handles. And what I was seeing was that Google started testing years ago, about 2018. 2018. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. 2018, um, they started testing something where they would rank um, not just a page, but a piece of a page. And they would link a user directly to a scrolled down piece of the page. And what I saw was that they were doing this even if there hadn't been a jump link in the code. So they were scrolling people directly to the answer to their question. And similarly, they were lifting answers straight out of a page into featured snippets and answers. So they clearly could find not just a page and understand the page and keyword density and stuff like that, but they were understanding what's the important part and what's the less important part. And when when we, I started talking about Fraggles, uh, it was right about the time that they were switching to mobile-first indexing. And my theory was that mobile-first indexing is not just about a mobile bot, because then it would have been called mobile-first crawling. Um, it was about a different way to index things in a more nuanced way where Google could get closer to answers. Um, and closer to the right part of the page. And, and it also addresses something that SEOs have done for a long time, which was not ideal for users, but helped the engine. And that is create separate topical pages um, that are sometimes very short so that a long page wouldn't drown out the relative importance of a piece of the page. So you could have a long, long page about all related topics and still have this piece rank um, for a query that's very related to that piece and not be drowned out by the other topics included on the page. Very interesting. So you've been talking about this well before, uh, you know, this announcement earlier this year, this is back to 18. Okay. Yep. Well, and so to help Google, the, the actionable information there, because you asked what can SEOs right. do, is create really well-structured pages um, with H1s and H2s and threes and all of that. Um, make it clear when you're transitioning from one topic to another, um, clear enough that Google can parse it and understand, don't have implied um, subjects in your headings um, or implied topics, uh, but say it outright when you change and kind of signpost when you're writing. And then I also suggest adding in um, when it makes sense, and especially on really long pages, we've started adding back in jump links as part of the on-page navigation. It's a strategy that goes in and out of vogue. Uh, used to be popular in the really bad old days of the web and really slow when we had slow dial-up modems. Um, but it does help with mobile navigation, um, and it does seem to give some kind of signal to Google that this is a different topic, right? That this awesome. is... So... Well, fascinating. Well, I, the last thing I could think to ask you about is speed. Is that the the mobile speed? I think it seems to be like a something you would be an expert on. I imagine we could probably even do a whole show on us talking about how to speed up a mobile version. So I I want to try and make it really easy. You know, occasionally we'll have experts on here, and there's one thing that just really drives them crazy because they see it over and over again, or it's a really low hanging piece of fruit for people to fix. 
Is there anything like that with mobile speed that you could think of that you're, you're just constantly running up against and see a lot of people doing and you feel like, oh, you could, you could really improve your speed on mobile device if you just handle one, two or three things that are really low hanging fruit? Yeah, so, um, you know, Google made a big deal about Core Web Vitals. Um, I don't think Google, I don't think Core Web Vitals was uh, thought of only for user experience. Google Core Web Vitals was all about making the process of crawling and rendering a site better, faster, easier, more efficient, cheaper for Google. And so remember that when you're thinking about Core Web Vitals, how is the bot experiencing this load? And what happens if the bot just gives up and decided the page is done loading early? Um, and for instance, sometimes if you have a really slow site, you'll see in um, Search Console um, that your page didn't load the style sheet, even though you know it's there. And you're like, oh, it's broken. Google's not getting it. But it's really the, the, the emulation that they have timed out. And Google might be getting it. You can check in the mobile-friendly test is the better place to know whether Google's getting the full version of the page. Um, but um, quick wins for Core Web Vitals and overall speed. The number one thing I push for is using um, uh, browser-based lazy loading. So developers love their cleverness in how they've kind of rigged their own lazy loading lazy systems. Loading. Uh, but usually those are super heavy, unnecessary JavaScript. Um, and there's a lot of better code out there that you can use to use the heavy code if it's the only thing available. But if you're in um, a browser that handles browser-based lazy loading, you're pushing the energy, effort, time, whatever, um, that is going on to your servers to lazy load things up to the cloud and saying, you figure out when, to, when the intersection observer uh, kicks in and you do all the math to know that on this size it needs to start loading now mm -hmm. and it's uh, all the, the the smartest people at Google figured that out for you so don't don't push your developers to figure it out again just use their stuff yeah, and, and I, I'm going to reiterate that with AMP code too actually okay. you can do this is my most important thing with AMP is that AMP isn't an all or nothing proposition if you can use AMP code on a page, it's super fast, developed mm -hmm. by the best developers in the world, and mm -hmm. we're not worried anymore about being AMP valid, we're just worried about being fast. So if you can use that AMP code, you'll be super duper fast, um, and it does already a lot of what people need it to do. So cherry pick the code you want from AMP and from other things that Google is doing to kind of make development easier and smarter and push the uh, compute effort off of your browser and into the cloud, do that. Well, awesome. Well, I want to get to everyone's favorite part of the show. This is where Greg gives me a question for the guest, but he gives me no context for the question. So I don't know any more than you, and it's a little bit of a high wire act for both of us. For you, Cindy, he has one word, Barkley. Does this mean <laughs> anything to you? I knew it was going to be Barkley. Barkley is my dog. Uh, he's a very special guy. He's very handsome. He has a full head of very uh, long, thick hair. He has his own Instagram account called Barkley's.pupdates. And he's a very fashionable guy. He likes uh, wearing his doggles and bow ties and vests. He's kind of a hipster. He does a man bun uh, with his hair sometimes. <laughs> So that's Barkley. Well, we'll, we'll have to check that out on Instagram. We're gigantic fans of dogs here at Search Lab. So um, 
Any new tools on the horizon for you guys? Anything coming out soon that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, we are updating the page datalyzer tool to start, um, well, the Serperator tool to intentionally pull title tag changes because that's something that Google, you can actually already see them in our tools if you look for it manually because we show you the screenshot of what was there. Um, But we're actually going to start parsing it um, and pulling it into a separate modal so you can see when Google is mucking with your title tags. And then in the Pagescope, we're trying to recreate a tool that Google shut down, which was the free natural language API um, testing tool. They shut that down and it broke my heart. So we are trying to recreate that so that whenever you put a, a page into the Pagescope or the Page Datalyzer, that you get a parsed version of all of the entities and how Google understands the text on the page. Well, awesome. Well, la- last thing, uh, you're you're a must follow on Twitter. What's the, your favorite way if people want to reach out to you to be contacted? What's your favorite social media? Yeah, absolutely. Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. Um, just uh, send me a DM, and if I'm not following you. Tweet to me and tell me to follow you, and I will. <laughs> all right, awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground. I wanted to like d- dive in on all those different topics even more, but maybe that's a reason to have you back on. I'm going to give you a, a virtual cheers for now. Cheers. Enjoy it. Say hi to all my friends there in, in Colorado. And uh, for everyone watching, we'll be back next week for an- with another episode of Southern Search. Mm-hmm.